Okay, before I dive into the message today, I wanna take a moment to pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to hear your word, God. Lord, you are magnificent, you are marvelous, God. I pray today, Lord God, that you would speak, Lord Jesus, that the weight of this moment would come across, Lord Jesus. God, we thank you for uh, this opportunity to be together, and we pray that our hearts would be open and our minds would be available to what you would have to say to us today, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, have you ever seen something so incredibly beautiful that it just like blew your mind? This is how Jason uh, first saw me. He was like, whoa, whoa, right? I know, I thought about changing that to the other way around, but that just, it just worked better this way. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, those places that quickly remind you that God is so incredible, he's so creative, and he's so majestic. I can think of a few, but one particular moment was when our family went to Glacier National Park on vacation. We had time for one hike, and with three littles and the threat of bears, we chose one hike that was highly populated, and it was called Avalanche Lake. <laughs> we went in with our bear spray in tow, like literally they said, bring bear spray. So we got our bear spray, and you know, we're not expecting much. It's a hike with three kids. Like we're just, you know, hoping for the best here, getting out into nature. We climbed, did a six mile moderate trail <laughs> with our children. We were tempted to climb rocks and trees, but man, we had a mission, like we have to finish this trail before they're done, right? We made our way through the trail, lacking any encounters with any bears, thank you, Jesus. And we were covered by trees on all sides as we walked down this trail. Over the trail and throughout the duration of our walk, you couldn't see very far. It was trees and trees and trees and trees. When we finally reached Avalanche Lake, I recall vividly breaking through the trees and just gasping for air. It was this moment of awe and wonder. I look out upon this crystal clear lake with a mountain surrounding the whole thing, the range surrounding it all, and like seven waterfalls. Does this not sound like heaven? This is Glacier National Park. You too can have this moment. <laughs> and I don't get any commission for saying that, okay? But tears came to my eyes. And have you ever had those moments where you try to capture it? where you were like trying to get the picture just right and you realize nothing can capture the beauty that is standing before you. We have these moments throughout our lives where we simply gasp and stand in awe, yet they often take six miles to get to them, right? I have a sense that they're not meant to be so few and far between. Daily, I believe we can have this encounter with the majestic, capital M. Today I wanna to talk about that. The title of my message today is A King in the Attic. Today we continue our series, War Horses, which is focused on the book of Revelation. So if you're new here, you might be like, oh geez, we're going there. Listen, Revelation is a beautiful story of God's majesty. It's a beautiful story of his creativity. Yes, there's hard things to grasp in there. Yes, there's things we don't understand. But overall, it's a reminder that our God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So in Revelation 4, let's read it together, verse 1. After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. Just imagine this picture, okay? As I read, I want you to, you can close your eyes if you need to. I want you to think about this experience. 
The first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit. This is John speaking who wrote the book of Revelation. And there was a throne in heaven and someone seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne went, were 24 thrones, and on throne, the, thr the thrones sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in the front and in the back were around the throne on each side. This is where my son's like, that's weird. He's over there, yeah, nodding his head. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And by your will they exist and you and were created. Can you imagine this throne room? Can you imagine John seeing this vision of like, I've never seen anything like this but it is amazing, it is intense, it is like awe and wonder and curiosity, it is creativity, it is majesty. What an experience, what a moment of wonder and awe, a great gasp must have escaped John's lips as he watched this moment unfold. Oddly, while I can explain the gloriousness of a mountain range draped in waterfalls, or John can describe this incredible throne room, we still have to see it and experience it for ourselves, don't we? We're like, that sounds nice. And then we go on about our day. Like you're never gonna remember my description of Avalanche Lake unless you went there. And then you can go, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Over time, the imagery of that day standing by Avalanche Lake disappears. It melts into the memory bank, becoming fuzzy and unclear. No photo captured that moment perfectly. In fact, Jason and I looked back, he's like, oh, I think I probably have a picture. And I was like, no, it's not good enough. It doesn't capture it, it's just not good enough. Pastor Sarah this morning was encouraging our team and she was talking about, she lives in Park City now because she's, her and Dave are our Park City campus pastors. Yes. So she's like, oh, have you guys taken the loop? Have you gone out and seen the fall foliage? And me and Alicia, we went out and saw the fall foliage. We drove through Guardsman's Pass on Friday and it was like, whoa. And she said this thing that I was like, that's exactly what I'm talking about today. She said, you get used to it. 
it blurs into the background. This is no harm on her. She didn't know I was going to talk about her. But <laughs> I just was reminded that that's what happens when we get too familiar with our majesty. When we get too familiar with the surroundings that we, that we get to have the blessing to live in every day. When we get too familiar with this is God's creation, not our creation. When, when we get too familiar, it blends. But we've all experienced his majesty. You may not even know you've experienced it, but you have. You go outside, you just walk out these doors, you just look over and you will see his majesty. Simon Ponzabi, Ponzombi, I don't know how you say his name, clearly. <laughs> Probably not Ponzombi, but <laughs> he'd say this, to truly encounter Jesus is to be knocked sideways, astonished, overwhelmed. Mild interest means you have not yet met him. How many of us are mildly interested in Jesus? How many of us have let him blend into the background? We understand he's royalty, right? We can say it. We understand he has beauty and dignity, and he's impressively stately. This is the Oxford Dictionary uh, definition of majesty. We understand that. We've seen with our eyes the grandeur of his creation, whether we've acknowledged it or not. We've sensed deep in our hearts the greatness of our God, whether we've acknowledged it or not. We've experienced personally his goodness, but after time and where, our memories dissipate and others take shape. I'll illustrate it this way. I've got this image over here, and it is my opinion of majestic. Okay, so you might not agree, but I do. So I'm talking, you don't get to decide. <laughs> okay, so maybe y'all can't see it, so I'll just give you a little, okay? This just captures like perfection. It's just a glimpse of majestic, right? It's, it's like, ah, oh. move that like that a little. Gives us an idea of who our God is. We can look at it and begin to imagine the majesty in the creator. It captures waterfalls and sunset and changing leaves in all perfection. It just gives us a sense, nowhere near the whole glimpse. Now, imagine this image was worth $430 million, like this one. $430 million. This is uh, Salvatore Mundi. I don't know how you say it. <laughs> but that sounded good, right? I liked it. <laughs> okay, well, I did not realize this until I was reading a book yesterday that that means savior of the world. This is Leonardo da Vinci's idea of Jesus. It's what he, like, we think he looks like. You know, I just got a little bit like, wow, that the most expensive image in the world is one of Jesus. $430 million. I wouldn't pay for it, but it's <laughs> worth it. Or this one, $300 million. <laughs> and I'm sorry, like, to the, uh, the artist, but Pastor Sarah could do that for you if you need. <laughs> you are, like, missing out on opportunities here to make a lot of money. <laughs> this is interchanged by uh, Willem de Kooning. <laughs> sorry, I headsets and hair, they don't go. Or the last one, which is also worth $300 million. These are the top most expensive paintings in the world. These images were purchased by obviously extremely wealthy people. 
Anyone in this room own any of these pictures? Probably not, no offense. Just don't have that kind of money laying around. And if you do, we have a kingdom to build, so let's go. All right. <laughs> so these are displayed in art halls or they're displayed in homes. Now, imagine any one of these images was covered up. Imagine this. Put that away. Huh. I don't really like it anymore. It doesn't go with the motif. I'm just going to put that in the attic. Imagine we would take such grandeur, glory, expense, just shove it away. Imagine we'd take any one of those pictures and put it in an attic to get dusty and old and yellowed. But I would ask if this is not how we treat our own king. His majesty meant to be on display through his creation, you and I, tucked away in the attic of our hearts, never to be acknowledged or seen. Has the king been moved to the attic? We simplify his majesty to a fuzzy and distant memory instead of daily recognizing and displaying his royalty. Revelation describes in detail the never-ending reality of his majesty. They fell on their knees over and over. You heard the beasts that they had constantly saying, holy, 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 and the elders, every time they sang it, fell on their knees. Constantly, holy, 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 holy. Peter reminds us, remember this big arching theme is that we're in Peter. 2 Peter 3, 10 through 13, how we're to keep his majesty in front of us and how we're to prepare for his coming. Verse chapter three and 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten his coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and elements will melt the heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The word hasten here means to await with eager desire. It means to keep majesty at forefront. It means worshiping him and knowing him until he's here, coming to his presence, acknowledging his goodness, acknowledging he's king of kings and lord of lords, constantly. We await with eager desire. We're not filling our time awaiting with Netflix. We're filling our time awaiting in his presence. We're filling our time awaiting in his word. As we prepare for experiencing the full majesty of God, Peter calls us to holy conduct and godliness. We await in eager expectation by following him and becoming more like him. Exuding his majesty in our daily lives. So how do we keep the king on the mantle, center stage and out of the attic? It's a long walk. This is not the king. Don't make this your idol. It's just an, just an idea. 
How do we keep this in the center of our lives, on the mantle of our homes, constantly and consistently? Not just when guests come over, when we want to impress. Not just when we're desperate for his attention, but there's a way that he becomes center and receives what he is due every day in every moment. Let's look at Revelation 4 and what it teaches us about keeping our king out of the attic. My first point is this. The king comes out of the attic when we find ourselves on our knees. Revelation 4, 9 through 10, let's read it again. When the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. Remember, the beasts were constantly singing, so they were constantly falling down. There's a story we find in Luke 7 of a woman who knew who Jesus was. She knew her majesty. Let's read it together. Luke 7, verse 36 through 38. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with them. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town was a sinner, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. This was a woman of the night. The woman of sin is likely a prostitute, possibly even trafficked. She found her majesty. When God is central and we understand his majesty, we abandon all inhibitions. This woman just walked into the Pharisee's home. She was just like, I don't care who's here. I'm going to be here. We abandon our inhibitions. We wear out our knees. We meet him with reckless abandon. Now, the Pharisees want to know why this woman's allowed to do this, right? So we can see why she threw herself at his feet in this next moment. Verse 39, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. <laughs> he said, say it, teacher. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's probably how it went down. Say it, teacher. A creditor has two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in, which, I mean, that, that's just a little awkward. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Stay the course. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins had been, have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Listen, we've each experienced his majesty. We've each just experienced his greatness. 
We've experienced and can experience his love and his forgiveness. And some of us think we don't need it like that woman did. But every one of us needs it like that woman did. See, he was a Pharisee, Simon. He wasn't proudly recognizing his sins. He was proudly hiding them. Very likely. The reality was he didn't come bearing his things because maybe that thing, that sin of pride doesn't, it's kind of just in there and you don't really even recognize it. But you need your savior just as much as that woman who was a sinner. And the reality is we all need him the same. Yet we all don't bow down the same. We all don't exalt him the same. We all don't recognize how badly we need him in our everyday lives. See, for some, it only takes six miles to experience his majesty. And for others, it's a lifetime of shame and guilt that has to be released. But each of us is still able to sit at the same throne before the same God and experience the same glory and the same forgiveness and the same goodness. Each of us, no matter how much grace we've experienced, should be falling down before him over and over and over again. Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. Our knees need to be where we most often find ourselves to give God awe, wonder, reverence that he deserves as our king. My second point is this. The king comes out of the attic when we give him our hearts. Y'all might be like, what's our hearts? It's your greatest possession. Revelation 4.10b says they cast their crowns before the throne. 24 elders cast their greatest possessions to the throne of the king of kings. They release their treasure. The crowning achievement of man is the achievement or attainment of finance and financial independence. Isn't that what we're all chasing? More and more and more freedom, more freedom, more freedom. More ability to buy more things. But to keep Jesus at the center, to keep our majesty in front of us, we have to be willing to release our treasure. Listen to this. I was thinking recently of the, pa- of pa- the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Most revered her. And you know, I saw more about her loss on the social medias than I do ever see about our King of Kings. But that's a side note. Some of us were burdened more by the death of her majesty than we've been by the soul in the cubicle next to us. That's another side note. (laughs) Listen to this. According to a House of Commons report, the Queen Mother's funeral was estimated to have cost $954,000 for the period she was lying in state, while the security for that funeral cost $5 million. That's from US, uh, Us Weekly. The median cost for a funeral in America is $7,848, almost $8,000. <laughs> this might be a little morbid, but I find it interesting that many of us will spend more on the end of our life than we will on building the kingdom of God during our life. What treasures are you casting before your king? Let me ask you these questions. Does your treasure magnify his majesty or you as majesty? Does it magnify his purpose on earth or your purpose on earth? Matthew warns us, guys, it's all in the Bible. All the warnings, everything we need. 
Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Further, he reminds us in verse 24, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Is your money putting the king in the attic? Is your treasure exemplifying your God? This is hard. Because we're so temporal in what we see, right? But we have a king who's gifted us with treasures. How many of you prayed for the job you have today? Like literally raise your hand. Please, thank you. <laughs> we all prayed for the job we have today. So who gave you that job? Who answered your prayer with a yes? Come on. Come on. Where's your treasure? When our hearts are tied to the pursuit of more earthly treasure, we have put our king in the attic. And it's dangerous. We see in Ezekiel 7:19, they will fling their silver into the streets and their gold will become an abhorrent thing. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy the appetite, nor can they fill their stomachs for the iniquity has become an occasion of stumbling. <laughs> We're warned, right, about where our treasure goes. Now, obviously, this is like practically speaking, but the reality is, is that like Matthew says, our treasure is where our heart is, right? Where we put our treasure is where our heart is. Starbucks has more of our hearts than our own king of kings. Nike has more of our hearts than our own king of kings. Name your favorite thing might have more of your hearts than our own king of kings. Now, I love Nike and Starbucks. Actually, I don't prefer Starbucks, but I will go there because it's available. But it does not come before where my treasure goes. That's like my scraps. That's my like, oh, that's available. But man, everything else, it's all God first. It's all God first, and then those are like fluff. If I'm blessed, if I'm lucky, if I'm obedient, I might get some Starbucks. And really, it's not about blessing, right? It's about stewardship. It's about where is your treasure? If I was to look at your treasure, what would it expose? Some of you guys are like, this is hard. I don't like it. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. We're just talking about how to keep the king in front of us, right? We're just talking about how to keep the king on the throne. We're just just discussing keeping him out of the attic. So these are some of those things, our heart, our knees. Okay, we are currently in a climate of great uncertainty, right? And the temptation is to really hold on to everything for dear life. Like nothing gets that. Even Starbucks and Nike, they don't get, we gotta hold on, we don't know what's coming. But listen, when your focus is on your majesty, you don't have anything to fear. When you consider yourself to be majesty, <laughs> you have everything to fear. Right, so Who's on the throne? 
Our king remains center and central when everything he has given us, our time, our talent, and our treasure, is put to exalting his majesty, to building his kingdom and releasing our treasure. My last point is this. The king comes out of the attic when we give him our mouths. Revelations 4, 10b through 11. B just means like halfway through the verse, okay? They cast their crowns before the thrones and say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Here's my last question. Is what is coming out of your mouth magnifying or dethroning your majesty? We are in need of a consecration of our tongue. Consecration simply means setting apart. Okay? It means I am am proclaiming this holy. Is what's coming out of your mouth consecrated? It should be set apart for his goodness and his glory. It should be repeatedly speaking his name, glorifying him, drawing people to him, reminding us of him, thanking him, praising him, honoring his creation. So when I explained the image of going to Avalanche Lake, some of you were like, whoa. Like you could kind of get an idea, right? You could kind of lean into like how great that could have been to bust out of a tree line and see this glorious picture of mountains and and. waterfalls. (laughs) You can get an idea. And here's what our tongue should be doing. It should be drawing people to him. It should be drawing people to his majesty, to his goodness and his glory and his awe and his wonder. See, we desperately want to see a move of God in our generation. Do you not? I want to see a move of God. But consecration is required for revival. We have to consecrate our time. We have to consecrate our treasure. We have to consecrate our mouths. In Psalms, we find some recommendations for how to use our mouth. Psalm 100, verse 1. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. As we end today, I want to remind us of what Pastor Jason spoke to last week. If you missed it, go, go back and check it out. But he said that revelation is a reminder that God is guiding history on purpose and back to his original design. So we don't need to be afraid when we have the king out of the attic and in front of us. We don't need to be worried or concerned with how, what's going to happen next when the king is on the throne of our lives. We don't need to be worried when we understand proper stewardship of our time and our attention and our affection and our words. We don't need to be afraid. Well, we don't need to be afraid if we follow Jesus. Because guess what? We win. At the end of the story, we win. It doesn't matter how bad things get down here, we win. We have eternity with this beautiful, majestic King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is seated on the throne. Is he seated on the throne in your life, in your home? 
His original design was to create people who would make him the center. He literally created you for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to worship him. He did not create you to perform. He did not create you to do good deeds. He did not create you to go chase success. He did not create you to make yourself God. He created you to worship him. That's original design. That's author's intent was to worship him. So today as we end, I wanna encourage you, maybe you're in the room right now and you're like, well, first of all, I definitely need to put God back on the throne. I wanna encourage us, we're gonna close our eyes, bow our heads, and maybe today you're like, yes, I admit, I have removed him from the throne. Would you just raise your hand boldly in this moment and say, yep, that's me. I I need to put him back. I commit to making him center. God, right now, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word, God. We thank you, one, that you are incredible and amazing and majestic and all the great words we could come up with, Lord Jesus, that you show us your goodness in the display of your creation, God, that you show us your kindness in the display of your creation of people, Lord God. Lord, that you love us so much that you would send your son to die for us, God. And Lord, we just put you back on the throne in our homes. We put you back on the throne in our hearts, God. We consecrate ourselves to you. God, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, God. We just honor you and we praise you, God, and we put you first and foremost in our lives today, Jesus. And for those of you in the room today who maybe you're saying, I don't, I don't know this God, but you just showed me a bit of his majesty and I want to know him. I wanna be, I wanna be a person who exemplifies him. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. Right now, if you're in the room today and you're saying, that's me, we're gonna pray this prayer all together. Nobody is gonna like leave you out by yourself, but we're gonna pray it together and just ask that you would follow along, pray it with us. Would you surrender your heart to him? If today you wanna say, I wanna make God king of kings in my life, let's pray this prayer. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I accept you as my savior. Knowing without you this life has little And knowing with you I have everything. I ask for forgiveness. Thank you for redeeming me and making me new. In Jesus' name.